Thank you guys and ladies for leading us in worship every week. We really appreciate your commitment. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19 and get you a copy of our outline and we'll get started. Randy, uh, if you're going to be singing at Arlington in April, I'm going to be buying tickets for that, buddy. I think I know a lot of people will do that. So pretty fired up about that, man. I'm going to hold you to that, Randy. <laughs> you know, Randy and I actually have sung together. You know, some of you don't realize that. Uh, we did a duet uh, to all the girls we've loved before, Julio Iglesias and Willie Nelson. Was that about six, five or six years ago, Randy, we did that? Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, nobody recorded that. So, hey, we're going to be looking today at how we can help others with the truth. You know, the last couple of weeks, Randy has uh, led us uh, through a series of messages dealing with how do you answer some of these questions that skeptics have? How can we be sure as Christians that God does exist? How can we be convinced? that this God that does exist is the God of the Bible? How can we be so sure that Jesus is that God? And how can we can be convinced that Jesus did indeed resurrect bodily from the dead? And over those last couple of weeks, Randy led us in that to where, as a Christian, you can stand convinced in the truth. And knowing that truth, understanding that truth, and the cool thing to me about our relationship with God is not just that God loves us, but one of the neatest things that I love about just the nature and character of God is God does not need us. He can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish without us because God is all-powerful. He needs nothing. But in, in, in the midst of our weaknesses and our, uh, our own sin, in spite of all that, God uses us, and he wants to use us. He doesn't have to use us, but a part of his plan includes us. We are a part of that plan, and just as we've become convinced of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are called, we are commanded to take that message and share that with others. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about who are those others? These people that probably you know in your midst, maybe they're people in your own family, maybe they're people that you work with, maybe you're here today and you're searching. But the truth is, is all of us, if you're here today as Christians, God has called us to take that message to others. And when others hear the truth, how do they respond to it? How do they react to it? They react differently to that. And even though the truth is so evident, it's so clear uh, for God's Word, people still need help with the truth. And that's where we come into place. That's why God invented the church, was not just for us to grow closer to Him. That is the, the main purpose. But the other purpose is as we grow closer to Him, we're to take that message out to the lost. And you know, when you think about that, for those of a lot of times it's easy for us to forget what it was like to be a non-Christian and what they think about uh, how they're going to respond to the Christian faith. Because you meet Christian, uh, non-Christians today, they don't think like us. They don't have the direction that God has given us. The Bible calls non-Christians lost. They don't have all the answers, and that's why it's so critical for us as the church to help them so that we can reach them, so that we can help them with the truth. So that's going to be our topic this morning as we look into the Word. So let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you, God, for your Word for, Lord, your word is powerful. It, it speaks to us. It tells us how much you love us. But not only that, but, Lord, it gives us direction, Lord. It equips us. So many times we get nervous when we know that you want us to share our faith with somebody. We get nervous. 
We get a little bit intimidated. But Lord, your word is there to remind us that you will speak through us. Lord, your word equips us. It answers all these deep questions that we have. And so, Lord, as Christians, we can be convinced. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Open up our hearts and minds this morning. And Lord, I also pray this morning that you would remind us of the people in our midst that we need to bring your truth to. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, Kim and I were watching a movie a couple weeks ago, and this movie is all about this lady who moves into town to manage a, a plant, a manufacturing plant. And so she meets this lady, and this lady uh, that's already living in the town kind of welcomes her into the town, and she's a Christian. And one of the few movies that I've seen where a Christian is not portrayed as just a nut, this lady's a really nice lady, and she's trying to share her faith with this new lady. And she said, can I ask you a question? Have you found Jesus and the lady starts laughing. She said, I didn't know he was lost. And it, it really hurt the lady's feelings in the movie. But to me, it kind of described a lot, of the, a lot of the times when we try to communicate things to non-believers, they just don't get it. Even some of the words that we use, they're lost, and they just don't know what to think about that. And so a lot of us as Christians, we need to really consider what is going through the minds of these non-believers that we're sharing our faith with. And we're going to go to the Bible this morning. We're going to look at several examples of how people responded or reacted to the truth. And, and, and how God eventually was able to reach them. And when you think about that, God has called us. I, I love some of the words that God uses to describe us. One of the neat words that he uses is an ambassador. God calls us as Christians to be ambassadors for him. And when you think about what that means, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody that has been chosen to go out and represent the king or our country. We have ambassadors to the U.S., How'd you like to be the U.S. ambassador to Iran right now? What a difficult challenge that would be. And in some ways, an ambassador is called to promote that country. In, in some ways, almost like a salesperson who is promoting something or trying to sell something. How many of you here today, in one way or another, are responsible for making sales? either a salesperson or salesman. All right, a few of you are. Now, if you have a product that you're going to be selling... You would probably much prefer the, most, uh, the, the best product out there that you can be confident in. And you'd like to be selling a product that you yourself are confident in that you know that it will stand up to the test of time. And so I brought a couple of examples this morning. If you are a guy and do some things around your house, probably you have some of these buckets. You know, obviously this one's from Home Depot. I can't even remember where I got this one from. But let's say your job was to sell buckets, okay? Now, pretty simple thing. Now, these buckets can be used for almost just about anything. You can put paint in them. You can put tools in them. You can uh, use it for soap and water to wash your car. Uh, or even a simple thing, if you're working on your car or something, you can just sit on it, okay? Pretty easy thing to sell, a product that sells itself. But what if you were given the task to sell this bucket? You're not going to want to sell this bucket because you can't have any type of confidence in this bucket whatsoever. And people are going to come up to you when you're trying to sell this bucket and say, what in the world am I going to use this for? This is useless. And if you're going to have any chance of selling this bucket, you're going to have to deceive people. And that's a problem with today is there's a lot of religions out there that are totally worthless. They're fakes, they're fraud, and people are out there. And the only reason they're able to sell those religions is because they deceive people, they lie to them, and then they realize that really they're worthless. 
The product that God has given us is something that will weather the test of time. You can be convinced in the truth, and so that when you're out proclaiming the truth to non-believers, you can be convinced that it is absolute truth, and you can be convinced of it. And so the picture in Scripture is that as we're sharing our faith, God does want us to be convinced in that so that we can be sure of that. And a lot of times people will ask you questions about your faith. And that's great. That's fine. We are called to help others with the truth. So do this. Let's turn to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at some examples of this. You know, look back at the time in your life when you were considering the things of Christ. I don't know if you ever do that or not. I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. That's been a long time ago. But a lot of times I think back to what was I like when I was 12, 13 years old and how God has changed my mind so much about so many different things. But it took me a while before I became a Christian. And even after a number of years of hearing the gospel, I didn't just accept it all at once. It took a number of things for God to do in my life to get my attention. And as you look back in your life, maybe you think the same way. Maybe, you did, maybe it, it took a very short period of time for you to become a Christian. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it took a tragedy for God to get your attention and bring you to Christ. A lot of people today, when you share your faith with them, they may not respond just like the other person. And we're going to see examples in Scripture of the difference. Look in Luke chapter 19. It's this wonderful passage. It says in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man by the name called Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And one thing that's kind of interesting about Jericho is that it was a, a town. It's known as the, the city of the palms. Everywhere you go there, there's palm trees. They're all over the place. Even when you go there today, plantation after plantation of palm trees. And even during the time of Christ, it was a beautiful, beautiful place, Cleopatra owned palm trees in Jericho, and it's just, uh, just a real interesting place. Jesus passes through there, and he meets this guy, or, or, or off in the distance, there's this guy named Zacchaeus that sees Jesus coming. And we know if you referred to chapter 18 earlier, Jesus had healed a man of blindness. And so a lot of the people undoubtedly in town are a little bit curious of who Jesus is, what he's doing, and this guy Zacchaeus gets curious. That's the first thing that we're going to look at this morning. Some people are curious about the truth of Jesus. That's just all they are. They're curious. And let's, let's continue on and let's see what happens. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which means among the people, he was probably hated. The people hated tax collectors because they worked with the Romans, and tax collectors went around to the Jews, and they were able to collect taxes with a Roman soldier right there next to them. And so it was basically pay up or we're going to either put you in jail, or we'll kill you. And, the Jew, and most of the tax collectors were Jews, and so they were regarded as turncoats or traitors by their own people. So Zacchaeus, not a very popular guy, and he, Jesus comes into town, and there's this guy named Zacchaeus, and it says he was rich. It says he was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So you almost get this picture. Jesus is coming into town. There's this big crowd of people surrounding him. The disciples are there. People are trying to listen to him. And Zacchaeus cannot even see him. And so he's trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, trying to listen to what he has to say because he is curious. He is curious. And you think about that. Most people, why are they curious? Some people are curious just, they're like Curious George. Remember the little monkey that has a little cute little story. Curious George was just curious. He didn't need a reason to be curious. He just liked getting himself into trouble. But people, when they, are, when they realize they have a need, a spiritual need, 
A lot of times they get curious. I remember the time. I remember feeling like this. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going when I die. I don't know where I'm going in life. Is this all that life has for me? Surely there's something out there that I need that I'm missing out on. And it's this whole thing of a lot of times you may hear me say that people were born with a hole in our heart. In most of our life, we go around trying to fill that hole with something of meaning, and it all lets us down until we fill it with Jesus. And we discover that is the only thing that can satisfy me. And when people begin to realize I have a need, a spiritual need that nothing else is satisfying, they get curious. And and that's where the church comes in. That's when we're supposed to realize, you know what? I've been talking to this person. I've been sharing my faith. And you know what? They're a little bit curious. They're they're really listening. You know, some people just blow you off. And some people will just get angry. We're going to look at a passage later on where a group of people just, they get mad. They get ticked off. But some people get curious, and that's when we just need to welcome them, when we need to love them, when we need to show them the love of Christ. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do. Let's keep reading. So he's unable because of the crowd to get to Jesus. And not only that, but he's small. And it says, verse 4, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Pretty interesting. Jericho full of palm trees. Did you ever try to climb a palm tree? Ever looked at it? It'd be like climbing a telephone pole. Not a good climbing tree. But a sycamore tree would be perfect. You can go to Jericho today. There's actually sycamore trees there dated back to the time of Christ that you can see them there. So this guy does something kind of goofy. You know, we're used to kids climbing up in trees, not used to an adult climbing up a tree. This guy's getting really curious, gets up in this tree to where he can spot Jesus and listen to him because he's curious. He's seeking after the Lord. And look how the Lord responds to him. Now, there's probably a big crowd of people there today, but Jesus looks up and sees this guy in the tree. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. You know, so many times we get so busy that we forget to look around. We forget to look around and, and, and just look to see, Lord, who today do you want me to reach out to? Whether it's in the workplace or maybe even in our own home or our family, but even at church. You know, there's a lot of times not everybody in church is, is saved. Hopefully we will have people that come here and are curious. And are we going to take the time to love them, to welcome them? and to get to know them. Jesus made a point on this day. He could have talked to anybody he wanted to, but he picked this one guy that everybody hated. And you know what? Not only that, but during that time, you, a Jew, it would have been taboo to go into the house of a Gentile or a Roman or even a tax collector, even a tax collector that was a Jew. You don't go hang out with that guy in his house because he's considered unclean. And Jesus made a point, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today because I want to spend time with you and I want to help you to understand that you need to be saved. And Jesus was hospitable to this guy. How many times do we in our life, we're, in, we're so busy that we don't take the time to slow down and say, Lord, who is it that you want me to help today? That's the calling that we have. Look at our next one. Look at point number two. Some people need to examine the truth of Jesus. Some people need to examine the truth of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. 
You know, I remember being in college and almost afraid to examine the Christian faith because I was worried I would find out that I would discover something that disproved Christianity. I was so intimidated. In my heart, I believed in Jesus. I had made a profession of faith. I was, in my heart, I knew it was the truth. But I had so many people ask me questions, and I had never really examined my faith thoroughly. I couldn't answer these questions. And the more and more I researched, how can I be sure that God exists? Man, it was like overwhelming. There's so much evidence. Some of the stuff that Randy talked about a couple of weeks ago. And then when you get to the Bible, how can we be sure that the Bible is the absolute truth and it's the only proof, only truth? And the Bible has 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, and you can find evidence for every single one of those books all throughout archaeology, science, anywhere you want to look to where anybody that wants to examine Christianity can be convinced of it. Just be like comparing these two, two buckets right here. You can examine this bucket. This bucket is reliable. You examine this bucket, it's got holes in it. And if people would do that today, if we would have more people that would examine the claims of Christianity, they would become convinced of it because it's a product that sells itself. We just need to be able to help people with the truth. Let's look at a couple examples in the book of Acts in chapter 17. Look at Acts 17 verse 1. That says, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus who I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace. Man, you always got to watch out for the marketplace, you know. There's always going to be some wicked men there. Watch out when you're in Kroger. You know, beware of the wicked men in Kroger formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming, around, coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they, they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the whole world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that they, there is another king, Jesus. They didn't get the key to the city, I don't think, here, you know? Not a very warm and hearty welcome. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they, and look what they did here, they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. They examined the truth. They didn't just ignore it. It says they were eager, they received the truth, and it says they examined it daily. So there was a curiosity, but then they took that next step. They said, you know what, I'm open to this. And what did they do? Back then, the scriptures to them would have been the Old Testament. They were listening to the words of Paul. They compared it to what they already knew was the truth, which was the Old Testament. They examined it, and they realized, you know what, 
What Paul is saying is exactly equivalent to what God's Word has said. So we've examined it, we've found it to be true, and we have, ex- we have accepted it. And it says they believe. And that is the thing that is so awesome about our faith, is that when you take the time to examine it, if you're here and you feel like you need to test this word, and if you're the type of person who says, I need it proven, God says that's fine because I've revealed that evidence for you to examine. You know, so many things in life, we do that in life. We examine stuff all the time. You go and buy a car, and if you're going to make a big purchase like that, you're not just going to go and buy any car. You're going to examine it real closely. You know, uh, something that happened to us, Kim and I, I've got a white Honda Accord, and y'all probably heard me tell the story, but uh, when we bought that car, six or seven years ago, almost bought another one that looks just like it. And we were on the verge of buying this car, not the one that we bought, but another one before that. And we were, we were about to sign the papers for this 96 Honda Accord. Looks just like the one that's out in the parking lot. And as we were, the guy was drawing up the paperwork. And I had gone all over the car, looked at it. We had taken it out for a spin, listened to the engine, checking out everything that I know to check out on a car before we buy it. Felt like I had done my part. And This guy is running a title search or a title check on the car, and all this stuff is going across the screen on the computer, and this one word called lemon catches my attention. And I'm like, whoa, I wake up. I said, what, what, did I just, did I just see the word lemon? And, and, and the guy scrolls back, and he said, uh, yeah. So go get me the title for this car. He go brings the title. This car had had six owners in two years, and I was about to be sucker number seven. And so Kim and I left that place, and we were about to be ripped off. And if you don't examine things carefully, you're going to end up buying into a product that's worthless. And that's the thing that should cause us to have so much compassion for people today is people that have bought into a lie. If people would examine the truth of Christianity, there would be no Mormon churches. There would be no watchtowers. There would be no Islam because people would reject it because they would realize it's a lie and they would embrace the truth. You know, Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And a lot of people say, have you ever heard people say, that sure is narrow-minded. You know what? It is. (laughs) It is very narrow-minded, but it is the truth. If I were to get up on this roof and say, you know, I'm just going to jump off the roof and I'm going to fly. And you said, John, you're going to die. And if I say, well, that sure is narrow-minded. Can't you keep an open mind about the possibility? No, you're going to, you jump off this roof, you're going to die. And that's the truth of Jesus Christ. There is but one way, and it's very simple, and that's the truth that God wants us to help with others. You know, I remember growing up, and I remember a number of times when my dad got ripped off. You you remember some of these funny experiences with your parents. I remember one day my dad getting home, and I remember us loading up the freezer with steaks, frozen steaks. And I said, Mom, what's going on? And she said, Well, your dad has bought a whole bunch of frozen steaks, and she wasn't real happy about it. This traveling salesman had come by with one of those refrigerated vans, and my dad thought he had just gotten this great deal. And for the next two months, we ate rubber steaks (laughs) because my dad just got ripped off. So many times in life, you got to examine And it's the same thing with our spiritual life. If we're going to invest our time with something, we've got to check it out first. And if people are going to invest their soul in something, they better examine it. And we as Christians need to be willing to help them with that. Let's look at 
the third one here. Some people need to be convinced of the truth of Jesus. Some people are from Missouri. Show me. You're going to have to prove it to me. And let's go back and let's look. Look at the very beginning of Acts chapter 17. And I want us to relook at this. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 2. Look what Paul was doing. This was his method to reaching people. Verse 2 says, And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, all right, now that's a Saturday, for three Saturdays, either Friday night or Saturday, three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. You may want to underline that word reasoned. In other words, they were challenging him. They were debating with him. They were asking him questions. And what was it all regarding? It was all regarding Jesus. He went into the synagogue. What was the synagogue? A synagogue today is called the Bet Knesset. It's a place of assembly was what, what they called it back then. It was a gathering place. And really it was a very informal place to where people could get together, read the Bible, and discuss. And so it was Paul's custom, any city he went into, I'm going to go right into the synagogue, and I'm going to start reasoning and debating with these people. Because he wanted to stir up trouble? No, because he cared about these people. He knew that these people needed to, they were curious, they needed to examine the truth, but they needed to be convinced. They needed to be convinced of the truth. And look what it says in verse 3. It says, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ because they already had an understanding of the Messiah. And he says, look, this Jesus that came 10, 15 years ago, that he was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He was doing everything he could to get on their level and to try to, to fulfill their needs because they had a lot of questions in giving them that evidence. You know, there's a lot of times that people come into the church and you may ask them, are you a Christian or uh, have you considered the things of Christ? And they may push back. They may say, well, why don't you give me a good reason why I should become a Christian? And we tend to say, well, golly, what's wrong with you? You just need to have faith, man. Come on, what's wrong with you? We get offended by their questions sometimes instead of trying to help them with that. That is what we're called to do, to try to help them in the midst of that. Let's look at, look at the, the next one is some people need to respond to the truth of Jesus. Some people need to respond. Look at Acts chapter 17 and let's look. Let's see some of the different types of responses. Look at verse 4. It says, some of those were persuaded. You know, now you think about that for a moment. In our society today, people, you, you hear on the news all the times, well, you're not supposed to be going around persuading people to believe what you believe. You know, why don't you just let them believe what they want to believe? Is that really a loving attitude? It's really not. If, if we've got the truth, then we should be sharing that truth. I am so thankful that my basketball coach in high school loved me enough to share the truth with me. I mean, God used him and, and gave him a mission on that day to, to explain the truth to me so that I could become a Christian. And that's exactly what we're to do. And even sometimes we may have to persuade people. That's what Paul was doing here in these people that says, we're persuaded. They weren't duped. They weren't deceived. They were persuaded into considering the truth. And look what it says. It says they were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks. Anytime, a lot of times in Scripture you see this phrase, the God-fearers. There were Romans who were God-fearers. The God-fearers were people that believed in God, but they weren't Christians yet. But they were curious. And Romans were God, some of the Romans were God-fearers. There's a guy over in Acts chapter 10 named Cornelius that the Scripture is brought to him, and he's called a God-fearer. He was open, he was curious to the things of Jesus. And that's the way some of these people were. This is a number of the leading 
women. Some of these people responded on that day. And look how some of the other ones respond. In verse 5 it says, But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out of the house. Not everybody is going to respond the same way. How about you? How about the first couple of times that somebody presented the gospel to you? Maybe you didn't respond to the gospel. Maybe you ignored God. And I want you to think about this for a moment. A lot of these things on here, being curious, examining the truth, being convinced of the truth, they're all dealing with our mind. A lot of people need to get kind of intellectual and ask these difficult questions out there. There was even John uh, Thomas told me and Randy, it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, all of our sermons are posted online. Uh, I think it's ccarlington.wordpress.com. Did I get that right, John? And you can go there and listen to our sermons. Well, a guy got on there and posted a comment, and, and John was able to respond to the guy. Some people don't always respond the same way, and are we going to be there to help them, to listen to what, what their concerns are and point the way for them. You know, you, every time I look at this cross, whether it's this cross or another cross, I think about, you know, Jesus, not only did you die on that, but I can be sure that that happened. I can be convinced that cross is real. It's not a fairy tale. I think about how when Paul was in this synagogue and it says he was going to these Jews, pleading with them, persuading, reasoning with them that this Christ, this Messiah that you Jews believe in, it was Jesus. 10, 15 years before, earlier, that was Jesus that died and resurrected from the dead. And I think about how cool that would have been that every time you were in Jerusalem, they could have walked by that empty tomb. And so you see this tomb right here is still empty. And to, even to this day, you can grow to, go to Jerusalem today, and you can walk in that empty tomb, and you can be convinced that what, what we believe in is absolute truth and how awesome that is. But you know what? You can convince people all day long, and they can say, yeah, I understand the facts. But this responding, that's of the heart. That's not of the mind. That's of the heart. And a lot of times people get to that point and it becomes response time. And they don't do anything. They just sit there for one reason or another. And, and so many times that's where it's time for us as the church to just plead with people and say, look, I was right where you were. I was lost as a goose. I needed Jesus to forgive me of my sins, but I made that step to respond to God. And, and you know what? It kind of reminds me, I was thinking about this the other day. Remember, how many of you grew up and you remember CB radios? Remember when those were kind of the, hot, the, the happening thing? And I remember I, I was kind of too, I, I didn't, wasn't old enough to drive. My brothers and sisters had CB radios in their cars, and that was just the cool thing. I'm sure it really, it drove the truck drivers back then crazy during that time. But I remember getting a job at the city of Bartlett, and, of course, all the trucks there had the radios in the car. I'm like, all right, man, I'm set now. I got my own truck. I got a CB radio. And, you know, if, and you have to learn the, the lingo, the talk. And if, and if somebody else is speaking and you want to respond, you have to say, you know, 10-4, good buddy, or something like that, or negatory or, or, or whatever. And people, what's your 10-20? That means where are you at right now? And if you don't respond, you're just leaving that person hanging there. They don't know what to think. And I think about sometimes in life, there's so many people out there in our midst, they're leaving God hanging. They haven't responded to the love of God and how that's, we're supposed to help them with that. I can think of so many times in my life, this happened to me a couple weeks ago, I was trying to share something dear on my heart to one of my sons. 
And you know how sometimes your kids just ignore you? (laughs) In one ear and out the other, and you're like, hey, anybody at home, wake up. And I shared something dear in my heart to one of the boys, and it just didn't respond. It hurt me. And I said, wake up. And it went like this. And for a few seconds, it was like, you know, I just poured my heart out, and I'm being ignored. No response. And other times I have to tell my kids, I need a yes, sir. (laughs) Acknowledge that you just heard what I had to say. And when we don't get a response in relationships and conversations, it hurts. I wonder how God feels. God has poured out his love for us. He's died on that cross, poured out his love, and he's offered a free invitation of eternal life. And there's so many people out there today that have not responded, not given their heart to God. Will we help them with that? Will we help lead them to Christ? I pray that'll be on your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, we do love you. And Lord, we know that we're called to a purpose. And God, it's by your grace, Lord, that you've saved us. Lord, it is by your grace that, that, in our, that we were even curious, that we examined the truth, that we came to grips with the truth of your love and we responded. But Lord, there's a lot of people out there that just need help. They don't know the way to Jesus. And so, Lord, that is our calling to help them. Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray that every single one of us here would really take your word serious, that all these examples that we're given in Scripture are not just neat stories. They're examples for us to follow after. Just like Paul and Silas and the rest of these people were very busy, actively going to places to where they knew that, that maybe they would get a lot of questions. But, Lord, they pursued these people. And I pray that you would give us a pursuit of people, not just, Lord, not just here in our church, but in the workplace, in our families, in our friends, the places that we hang out with, Lord. Use us to reach a dying generation. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name.